is an indication that we were made to glory in the Lord. Um, it's why when we're in darkness and we're unsafe, why we go off and get involved in the things that we do because we're looking for that glory. But when you're saved and the Holy Spirit comes into your life and the Word of God, the Bible is there as a wonderful window into the things of God, that's when we start waking up and being the, that uh, man of valor, that woman of honor and virtue, um, and we live as a praise to God. So this whole series entitled Born to Praise is based on that concept. And this morning I want to share with you about <clears throat> what I call, or really what Jesus called, I, I suppose because I got it from his word, uh, getting out of the boat, getting out of the boat. And you probably know where in the scriptures I'm going to go with this. It's in Matthew chapter 14. We'll just jump into the middle of this story and take a little picture of Peter in the boat while the storm's raging as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And he sees, along with the other disciples, Jesus walking on the water. And that's Matthew 14, 28 through 29. And so as Peter with the others see Jesus, they're frightened. They think he's a spirit and Jesus calls out to them, be not afraid, it's me. Peter responds back to him and says, Lord... If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I love that impetuous side of Peter. All of us, for the past 2,000 years, have been trying to trim that down in his life. But boy, that sure got him into some really wonderful places in the Lord. And it's about to here. Lord, if that's you... Call me to come to you on the water. And Jesus simply said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? It's wonderful. But Peter's leaving the boat to come to Jesus on the waves contains a much greater lesson than just faith. It, it really contains an example and a lesson about praising God. At least I'm going to use it as a lesson for praising God. And that lesson is specifically this, and I'll give it to you right up front. Praise is more than just looking to Jesus in a church service and praising Him from where you are in the boat. Because Jesus isn't in the boat. If you've noticed, He's out there walking on the waves. And so praise is so much more than just seeing him out there walking on the waves and singing to him. But praise is getting out of the boat and walking in the midst of your circumstances to Jesus. Because that's what Jesus walking on the water is all about. That's the takeaway, if you will. Why was Jesus, when there was a perfectly good boat, why was Jesus walking on the water? Jesus was walking on the water because that's where all our problems are. That's where all the sinking happens. That's where all the instability takes place. That's where all the fears are. So they see Jesus, and he's not in the church service per se, in the worship, but he's close. Where is he? He's out there on the waves of the circumstances. He's on, in the midst, in the middle of your circumstances. So when Peter sees him, he says, call me and I will come to you. Jesus called and Peter came. So real praise 
begins when you climb out of your comfort zone, go overboard, if you will, and in order to come to Jesus, who is your circumstance changer. And why is that? Because nothing happens in the boat. Everything happens under the hand of Jesus. That's where Peter was saved, sinking into the sea. Can you say amen? Now look, if you need an incentive to climb out of the boat this morning and praise God, I got three good ones. Let me give you the first one. The first one is praise puts God to work. Praise puts God to work. Think about it before you, before you get offended at that. Um, I didn't come up with that um, to be, um, uh, you know, to, to uh, use the shock effect. Uh, but I, I literally want you to see praise as putting God to work. And I think one of the best scriptures that um, brings this forward is in Ephesians 3. You're probably familiar with it, verses 20 and 21. It says, Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or even think, according to the power at work in us. So to him be glory or be praise in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen, Paul writes. And so listen to what Paul's saying. God is able to exceed your needs and exceed your expectations. But he does it according to the power that is effectively at work within us. That power is giving glory and praise to him because Paul in the next breath says, Therefore, since God's able to exceed all that you need, let the church be full of glory. Let God's people overflow with praise because the more you praise, the more it puts God to work. And the reason is, is because the glory of God is His function. His attributes manifest in grace and mercy and the miracle signs and wonders and the answer to prayers. Those wonderful things that fill the Gospels. We glorify Jesus for the things that He does, the works that He has done. So the more you glory in the Lord, the more you praise His glory, the more God's glory is manifest in our life. Therefore, um, Paul says, let there be glory in the church. Praise puts God to work. Number two, praise puts you to work. Um, when you praise God for His word, because what He promises in His word, you give Him praise and you glorify Him, it ignites God's function in you. When you praise Him for being the God of grace, it ignites grace in you. The things that you praise Him for, you were designed to reflect. You were designed to not only be a receptacle for those things, but you were designed to be a prism through which these various attributes and functions of God might be magnified. Then the angels sing, but you and I be to the praise of His glory. And so when you, when you praise God, you're putting you to work. That function for which you were designed 
If I could liken it to anything, I would liken it to a light bulb like we, we see here. And uh, j just like a light bulb, um, praising God draws Holy Spirit current that lights you up. You can have all kinds of skills and talents, and I know people here have got wonderful abilities, and uh, thank God for them. But you can do them lit up with the glory of God. And so when you give Him praise, that current of the Spirit puts you to work as that light, that city that's set upon a hill. The third little incentive, if you need an incentive to really praise God and to get out of the boat and come to Jesus with your praise, because I hope you got it in that opening analogy, that praise is not sitting safely planted in the worship service singing at Jesus. It's when you get out of the boat and you come to Him. Then you're praising Him. That's the analogy. So praise puts God to work. Praise puts you to work. And there's another thing that praise does. Praise puts darkness out of business. Yeah, Hallelujah. I said praise puts darkness out of business. Sometime tonight when you're at home, go into a dark room and find out if what I'm saying isn't true. Now, <clears throat> like dimmable light bulbs, does anyone have a kitchen with dimmable lights, got dimmable lights? Yeah, I love those things. Set the mood, just a little bit of light. It takes the hard edges off of things. The older you get as a couple, the better y'all look. <laughs> of course, I... I, don't, I haven't had to use dimmer switches in, in my house for any, any of that because my wife shines. She radiates. She's got her own light. Hallelujah. But like dimmer light bulbs, you can turn praise on a little bit and you'll see a little bit. Or you can turn praise all the way up until there is no darkness and everything's visible. Some people call it the harsh light or whatever it is, but man, oh man, there's no darkness or ambiguity left. Everything is clear. And the Bible says God is light. So, so praise can, can put darkness out of business, or it can just make the darkness a little more compatible. You just turn a little mood lighting up. And I think sometimes our praise and worship services are kind of like mood lighting, it's sort of like low-light church, you know. You just praise God a little bit, and uh, you get that little bit of good feeling. Praise the Lord. But imagine the impact on a church and on its environment if it turned its praise up 100% 24-7. Not just for an hour or two on a Sunday, but seven days a week, everywhere you go, full-on Turn that praise on. The glory of God would manifest as that light goes forth. And that glory manifests in four ways. Salvation, healing, deliverance, and prosperity. Think of the impact of the light of God upon the community if a church were to run its praise 24-7. And we're going to get into some specifics about what that really looks like. But just for a moment... Think of the impact on the environment. Think of all of the agencies that have been created, if you will, to accommodate the darkness. You'll, you'll realize that much of what the world has created 
has been created to help us manage darkness. But if that light, 100% full on, 24-7, were turned on, some of these agencies would be put out of business. Or at least you wouldn't be hanging out in them. Because you wouldn't need to. I mean, really, if you will think about those agencies that help us live in a dark world and the impact of the light, counseling centers, drug treatment facilities, hospitals, jails, family law firms, abortion clinics, safe houses, bars. Be not drunk with wine, we're in a success. Be filled with the Spirit. Those things would get emptied out quickly if we filled our environment with 100% of the glory of the light of God. Hallelujah. And it's because people would be thoroughly furnished with the light of life. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. A city set. And everyone say that word with me, set. You see, it's one thing to be saved and have the light, but you ought to be praying, Lord, set me. Set me. Are you set? Or are you just in the boat with everybody else with a weekly song service? But Jesus had something else in mind. He said, a city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way... Let your light so shine before others so that they may... Now, if your light's going to shine before others, that means they hear you praising God. That's that, that's that light. That's hallelujah. That's how we get out of the boat and come to Jesus. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Listen. What Jesus is saying is if you think that going out to work every day and being out in the world and just being a Christian under low light conditions, if you will, um, is going to cause the unsaved to see that, well, you don't cuss like they do and you don't join them at happy hour on Friday and all these other things. And they're, they're just going to get saved when they see that. That's just going to, they're going to say, wow, you know, I want to not have to go to happy hour and, you know, uh, that, how many of you have noticed that doesn't work? That's not working. Why? It says a city set on a hill. When the church collectively gives him glory and radiates the praise of God, his glory will be upon us. Then they'll see your good works. You see, it's not that you're not doing good works. It's not visible. They're not seeing it. There's not enough light shining through you and I for them to see that you're not partying at the happy hour has got something to do with the light of life. And so when we praise and worship and become radiant with the presence of God, it causes us to be filled with light and then they will see the Lord in us, in you and I. Can you say amen? amen. And isn't that so much better than getting mad at the world? For not recognizing Jesus in us. We get mad and criticize them because they're acting like sinners. When we have all of the power. Can you say amen? amen? So, you know, I could get in church and say all kinds of nice things about praising God. And you'll sit there and you'll nod and you'll say, well, this is all great. But the fact is, is that though we wouldn't want to say it, many of us 
have the idea that praise is fine for church. Makes sense. I come into church. I praise God. I feel better when I leave. My faith is kind of my focus. I've learned something in the Word. Um, so praising God is fine for church, but it won't work with real problems in the real world. I don't know if you've ever said that, but I know you've heard it said, and you've probably thought it, especially when you're being threatened by a real problem, and somebody says, why don't you just take a moment and praise God? And you're thinking to yourself, what kind of advice is that? Men, men can relate to that. Father's Day is coming up. Men can relate to that foolish woman. If you want to go pray, go pray. But I've got to make this thing work, and it's not working. You know, that, that praise is great for church. When I get there on Sunday, I'll praise him. But right now, this is a real problem, and I need real answers. So really, is praise appropriate for real problems? Drug addictions, divorces, cancer, strife, broken communications, sicknesses, anger. These real problems in life that seem insurmountable. Praise is the answer, but you need to turn it up. That dimmer switch, you need to roll that thing up to 100% and get out of the boat. And you'll see that praise is the answer. As I meditated on this and I thought about it, I naturally went back to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We've, we've referenced it a lot. And I'm going to bring it up again this morning. The story of Jehoshaphat. When the king of Judah was surrounded by those three armies that had confederated together, come across their border and threatened to annihilate them and wipe them out. I would call that a real problem. And um, he gathered Israel and the prophets got together and they all cried out before the Lord. They were freaked out of their minds because they were about to become laid waste and wiped out. And let me just read you a little section of that text. We've read it before, but I want to refresh your memory because I want to draw from it. And they rose early in the morning. This was the day after they got the news. And they'd slept on it, and they woke up in the morning. And they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Now they are the, the people of Judah. So I don't know how many thousands of people were out there, but the priests were there, the prophets were there, the congregation was there, you were there, I was there, and King Jehoshaphat was there. And King Jehoshaphat said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. For the prophet had prophesied, you shall not fight this battle. This battle's the Lord's. The Lord will fight this battle for you. And when he had this next part, I want you to notice. I've always overlooked this next segment and just kind of read past it, but it jumped out at me. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and to praise the Lord in holy attire, or a better translation says to praise the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And I'd like you to just speak that phrase with me. 
Praise the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So he takes counsel with the people and they all are in 100% agreement. We should arrange the praisers to praise the Lord in the beauty of holiness as they go in front of the army. And they should sing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. So we're going to meet this bloodthirsty army of probably a couple hundred thousand singing love songs about our God. That's our strategy and we're sticking to it. Not only that, but we are 100% committed to this plan. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so that they did it, they went out and the singers went out and the soldiers followed behind. And as they went out, they sang unto the Lord, give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come out against Judah so that they were routed. And when they came up on the scene, you know the story, all the enemy, all of them were dead. They'd all slain one another. And the first thing that I want to call your attention to, two things out of this. The first one is that it says when he took counsel with the people. That is important because here's what happens too often of the time when we are in church and it's time to praise the Lord. Somebody is checking out Facebook or somebody is kind of silently sitting and just soaking in the atmosphere. But the Bible says it's time to praise the Lord. It says they all consulted together. We should all praise Him. We will all lift our voice. And in fact, we're going to get those musicians and that choir, we're going to put them out in front of the soldiers and they're going to lead this thing. So I thought this is one of the places where we fall short is we think if we got two-thirds of the congregation praising God, that's good. Boy, that's, you know, you, they kind of drown out the ones that aren't. And, you know, that's just from our perspective. What about from heaven's perspective? What does God see when he sees us praising the Lord? Does he see that all of us have taken counsel together and said it's time to praise the Lord? And every mind is on Jesus. Every heart is expressing its affection to him. Every lip is giving him praise. We, are, we have consulted together and we're all in one accord. How often does that happen? And it leads me to to think and to probably conclude that if that happened more often, we'd see the results that Jehoshaphat saw. That it was the fact that they all agreed together, let's praise the Lord. And so that was the first thing. Oh my goodness, hallelujah. What would it be like today if our strategy was relying 100% on praising God rather than the army, and it was agreed upon by everybody. Oh, that that council were in our church today to rely on praising God, then we would see those victories, would we not? Amen. You know, the thing that I like is people say, well, we, you know, you, you, we need soldiers. And, um, you know, we need jails. And, and, we, and we need psychiatrists. And we need... 
Yeah, I, you know, until Jesus comes back, we, we probably do need all those things, but you don't necessarily have to need them. We don't necessarily have to need them. In fact, as I said, if we really truly turn that praise light on, we might not put them out of business, but we might put them out of business as far as we're concerned. Praise the Lord. You know, <clears throat> you might think, well, they still had those soldiers. Uh, no, they had been repurposed as treasure gatherers. So, you know, they didn't do any fighting. They were just there to pick up the loot from the Lord's victory. The next thing I want to share with you about in this uh, story is that the Bible says they praised in the beauty of holiness. Wow, what is that? Praising in the beauty of holiness. In fact, it was praising in the beauty of holiness that actually brought that great victory. So if you and I praise in the beauty of holiness, we can expect to see the Lord take care of our enemies and save and deliver us. Can you say amen? amen? So what is praising in the beauty of holiness? The first thing I've got to tell you is it was not a typical praise and worship service. Holiness means 100% separation unto God. So they first got into the position where they were 100% separated unto God. So that means that they weren't singing a song and half the people were thinking about, are we going to beat the Baptist to the Golden Corral? Um, you know, or, oh, I, you know, I don't know if I saved that show um, in my whatever that thing is that you program your TV with. Do you see what I'm saying? God looks at us. He knows where the heart is. He knows where the praise is at. He knows where our minds are at. When we come together, whether it's two or 2,000 of us, and we agree together to praise God. It is time to praise Him with our whole being, like I shared last week. Glory to God. With our whole entire being. So this praise that was in the beauty of holiness, this was 100% full-on covenantal dependence being manifested by all of the people casting themselves into the hands of God through praise. And you know what? It was beautiful to the Lord. When God sees it, it's beautiful to Him. Some things are attractive to you, but let me tell you what's attractive to God. Seeing full-on, 100% covenantal dependence to Him manifest through praise is beautiful to God. When He sees you foolishly abandoned to Him, not because you want to defy convention, not because... You want an emotional, you just want to act emotionally, but it's out of covenantal dependence. You're climbing out of the boat to get to Jesus. I wish I didn't have to walk on the water to get to Jesus. It would have been better if he were in the boat, but he's not. So I have to just push myself a little bit farther Praise with a little more determination. Be willing to go overboard. Be willing to get out on the waves and to go to Him in order to get His hand upon my life. Somebody say praise the Lord if you see where we're going. When God sees it, He says, now that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Peter, hallelujah, 
was uh, separating himself unto the Lord when he climbed out of that boat. That's what brings us back to our text about leaving the boat for Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. Simply singing to Jesus from the confines of a worship service will not bring you into his presence. You know, there have been a ton of books written um, and a lot of messages that have been preached but I'm here to tell you today that you can sing and have song service all day long. It's not going to bring the actual presence of God just because you're singing songs to Him and about Him in church. But abandoning simple song singing in order to praise your way to Him on the sea, that is altogether different. Hallelujah. You will surely get his hand to manifest when you abandon yourself to the Lord on those seas and come to Jesus as you are praising him. He's going to touch you. Somebody say, man, he will touch you. Glory to God. And if the whole church gets out of the boat, he's going to touch the whole church. Somebody say, amen. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now that is praising Jesus in the beauty of holiness because it's the beauty of going overboard out of the boat. Now, we're not leaving the boat in protest. We're not stepping out of the boat because the boat's too confining or it's too conventional. I love the boat. I'm happy for the boat. I'm glad we got a boat to get us through life until Jesus comes. I'm, I'm happy for our church, whether it's 20 or 20,000, gathering a little place we could gather together. But let me tell you something. Singing in the boat, doesn't bring the presence of God. I don't care how good the music is or how beautiful the voices are. And it's not just jumping up and down and getting louder. It's when your heart takes you beyond the boat, out onto those waves, and you start pressing your way to Jesus, embarrassing yourself in front of everybody. You're abandoning yourself to Him. That's when it gets beautiful to Jesus. Hallelujah. And you know what? Glory to God. Even if I sink, I'm the one He's touching. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. So look, our God is a Savior, not a royal audience. He's not a music critic. He's a deliverer. That's what he does. Delivering people is what he does. So music and singing won't bring his hand into the worship service. But I'll tell you what will. The opportunity to heal, to deliver, you will surely, when you step overboard in order to come to Jesus with your praise and the beauty of holiness, that will bring his hand into that sanctuary quicker than you could turn a light on. Somebody say amen. amen. Look, I'd rather sink coming to Jesus because I know that he'll take hold of me than to sing to him while I'm staring at him from the boat where I don't need him. Amen. So look, here it is for an altar call this morning. Here's our platform to respond to. Jesus didn't walk on the waves to prove who he was. We have to, by faith, believe his word. 
because of the integrity of his word, not because he's proved himself by his miracles. So he's not walking on water to prove who he is, but he's walking on water to show you and I that that's where we can find him. He's letting us know as we see him walking on those waves. Those waves, that's what you're going to go home to. It's the instability of the waves and the up and down of life every day. How many of you, and I've had a few people tell me this week, how many of you have said, I wish life was not so, I mean, up and down. I'd like just consistent, solid, hallelujah. I hear you. I can't wait for heaven either. Hallelujah. Won't it be awesome? But until then, this is, this is the circumstance. This is the world. And where is Jesus? Thank God He's not in the boat. He's out there in the midst of those waves, in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your troubles. Jesus is there waiting to lift you up in the midst of your biggest problem. That's where He is. And that's where praise needs to take you. Your praise of Him needs to take you right out there on those waves into the midst of where you need Him the most. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? So our altar call this morning, my challenge to you is, are you willing to choose the embarrassment of hanging on to Jesus with your praise as He's pulling you up out of the sea? rather than just singing to Him from the boat of a church service where you really don't need Him. I mean, you could say, well, I always need a little more money. I always need a little more peace, a little more of this. A dimmer switch, in other words. No, Peter needed Him because in two or three minutes he'd have been dead. Peter needed Him. Are you listening to me? Peter needed Him. We're in church, yeah, sure, we've got needs, but that's why we've got to break out of song singing and we need to run to Jesus. We need to get out, drop out onto those waves and come to the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. So, all right, I beat this metaphor till it's about as beat up as it can be, praise the Lord. I know y'all are sharp. You got it, you know. I could have stopped 20 minutes ago. You had it after the opening comments, but sometimes... You get that license to preach and you just got to hear yourself. <laughs> got to feel like you used it. And I, 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 I thank God that you got it right away. But sometimes, sometimes we get it, but we're not convinced. We're not in the grip of that message. Till you've heard it about seven times and then it's like, oh, oh, God's talking to me. <laughs> I need to do something. So I'd like you to close your Bible, turn off your devices, stand up. And I meant that question 